What age is your under? 10 and under. 10 and under? Fifth grade and under. Fifth grade and under. Uh, if you want to go out to junior church, you can. Just follow, follow the door. We're going to continue on in our sermon series through the doctrines of the Salvation Army. Uh, and uh, this morning, we had a little bit of a technology fail. For some reason, my, my iPad that I normally control in isn't working, and so... Yeah, 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 my clicker is, though. I've got this on my hand. So you'll have to bear with me because to read Scripture, I normally have it in front of me. I'll have to turn up here to read it, but other than that, we'll be fine. So we're going to begin with doctrine number nine, and it says this. We believe that a continuance in a state of salvation depends upon continued obedient faith in Christ. This is the doctrine of the Salvation Army that uh, differs us from a lot of churches, uh, and we're going to go over it today, and I hope I'm going to be able to explain it in such a way that it makes sense. But the first thing that I want to point out in this particular uh, uh, doctrine is that there are some doctrines of the church uh, that fit into uh, what's called open-handed and closed-handed theology. Have you ever heard this term? If not, I'm going to explain it to you. There are some things that we believe that we have to, to hold firm in a fist, and we never shake on, we never move on, we never compromise on. This is the, 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 uh, the birth of Jesus, that he, he was uh, born and lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, and that he ascended into heaven. We never loosen our grip on those doctrines. If we start to, then we start to become a church uh, not based on the gospel, but rather based on our own personal wishy-washy whims, and I'm not about that. Uh, but there are, there are other things that we believe that can be held in an open palm and they're not as important as this. And so in, in some denominations, uh, they believe that a person, once they're saved, cannot lose their salvation under any circumstances. They believe once saved, always saved. And if you read this doctrine that we believe, obviously that's a difference. And, and, and this doctrine fits into the open hand because I believe in all my heart that when we get to heaven there are going to be Calvinists there. And there might be some Wesleyans that don't end up there. On the contrary, when, when we can gaze through eternity, there might be some Calvinists that end up in hell, and there might be some Wesleyans that will end up there too. This doctrine, I believe, fits into the open hand. I believe in our doctrine very firmly. But I understand that there is room for discussion and debate with people who interpret this particular scripture differently. And so as we're going through this particular doctrine, I want you to keep that in mind, though while this is what the Salvation Army believes, it is not necessarily one of the doctrines that we have to get into a fistfight over. It's not something that we hold tightly in our hands and we say, well, if you don't believe this, then you're going to hell. And if you think I'm going too far, I have heard some salvationists say that. I'm not about that. I don't know, I know where you are, but I feel like there's enough division in this world without the church being divisive over a matter of interpretation on some scriptures. Amen? So we're going to keep that just in mind. With that being said, I'm going to teach this from the Wesleyan holiness standpoint, and I think by the time I get to the end, you're going to look at me and say, well, at least that makes sense, right? So, so let's hope that we, uh, we go there. Uh, and I've actually skipped over a couple of my things, so uh, uh, let's just uh, fast forward a little bit. Here we go. 
Here we go. Here is the basic concept of the Wesleyan viewpoint. If God does not change because he is immutable, if God does not change, then it is us that must make a change. So this is what I want you to picture. You're a Christian. You've come into a saving knowledge uh, of the grace of Jesus Christ. Everything is going well. And then suddenly you start down the road to temptation and you start sinning and you start going the wrong way and, and whatever it happens to be and you, you start going down that road. The question is, is it your heart that's changed or has God changed? Well, God doesn't change. Right? We, we know that from Scripture. Scripture says that he is the same today, uh, sorry, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So if God doesn't change, does that not mean that it's us that's changing? Am I, are you with me so far? You and I are the people that change. God doesn't change, right? So this is what Scripture says. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And so what this doctrine is about, what I believe that our doctrine is about, is our obedience. A lot of people focus, uh, this doctrinal statement says, we believe that a continuance in a state of salvation depends upon continued obedient faith in Christ. People focus a lot on the the, the word continuance and whether or not uh, were you ever saved to begin with, whether or not you you lose your salvation. But what I want to focus on really is the obedience factor. And I'm going to lay my cards right on the table, right up front, so there's no surprises. I believe that if you're not obedient to the word of God, that you're not a Christian. Okay? Now, now I, I, I lay that on the table, and I'm going to build to the reason why we get there, but I really want that to, to marinate your heart for the rest of this. If, if you have met Jesus, and your heart has not drastically been changed from the sinful nature before, I don't believe that you've met Jesus. I think you've had an emotional response, not a spiritual response. Does that make sense? Uh, I'm not saying this to be judgmental. I don't know any of you where you are in your personal lives and your work walks and your journeys, so I'm not judging you. I'm just making this as a statement that too often what we do is try and sugarcoat salvation and and say, well, you know what, That's, that's fine. They know Jesus, but they're just a little bit weird or they're just a little bit off or they're just a little bit and we make excuses for a person but but I truly believe this if a person's heart hasn't been changed then I don't think they've really met Jesus and what we do in the church we 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 get really good at it in some of the conferences that we we have if you've ever gone to a good big bible conference they have a nice stage they have wonderful lights they have world-class musicians and a world-class sound system and they they it stirs your soul and your spirit to a certain manner your emotions bubble up and suddenly you get this emotional high the equivalent of, of, of anything, taking a swig of alcohol, really, you get this emotional high, but it doesn't actually change your heart in any way. And then when you come away from that conference, we call them mountaintop experiences, when you come off that mountain, if you're, you haven't encountered Jesus and your heart hasn't changed, then you start to fall and you fall away. Does this make sense? I'm not just, I just want to make sure that you're, you're tracking with me because this can sound very harsh and I don't mean it to, but, but really what happens is we trade in a real response 
to Jesus with an emotional response that fits us for a while and for a season, but then if we don't actually have our hearts changed by Jesus, we don't actually know Jesus, then when the hard times come, we can't rely on Jesus because we don't actually know him. And so, so really what I want to look here is about our obedience. Now, sin comes in several different forms, past tense in Scripture, uh, continuing on in Second Timothy 1.9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ just before the ages began. So uh, Scripture talks about our sins from a past perspective. It also talks about it from the present perspective. Uh, it says this in Romans 6.14, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. That is a present tense. So past, present, and if you've ever been to school, future tense, which says this, and I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so what Scripture tries to, to get over to us and what we've talked about in previous doctrines is that you and I were born as sinners. You and I were born into sinful nature, uh, and so what that means is if you're given the opportunity to do uh, what is right and what is easy and sinful, by your own nature, without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to choose what is easy and sinful. And, and, and if you don't believe that's the way that humanity works, walk down the street. See the way that our society is currently engaging in. We have people taking advantage of other people because it's easy, because it's easier to make a buck than it is to do the right thing. We have wars and strife and division and poverty, rampant poverty in this country. The most affluent country in the history of the world sees people living on the streets begging to survive because it's easier to make a buck than it is to help solve the problem because sin is easier than following Jesus because of our sinful natures. And, and this is what I want to get across in this obedience. Really should have put a line break in here. Some people believe that they are saved, in fact, when they are not. Look, there is a difference between becoming a Christian and slipping than there is not having your heart changed and continuing in sinful behavior. And, and this is what I mean by that. Um, every now and again, every now and again, I am prone to fits of pride. Blue moon stuff, right? You're with me, right? You're not judging me too harshly. Every now and then again, I stumble, and I, I like to use the, the phrase stumbling on the path to sanctification. Every now and again, because of our sinful nature, even though we've been given of our sins, past, present, and future, every now and again, we will stumble and make a mistake. And that is not uh, what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that when I'm talking about, oh, well, you know what? You, you, you lost your temper. You must not be saved. That's not what I'm saying, right? That's over here in its other category. What I'm talking about is continual, habitual sinning. When you know that something is wrong and you continue to do it, not once, not twice, but it is a habit, it is part of your lifestyle, then the question is, has your heart really been changed? 
Do you understand those two differences? Do you understand that there's a difference between, man, I, I lost my temper in traffic and I shouldn't have, God forgive me, but, and that, and you know what? Every single week I'm going to just take this five bucks from the offering tray. It's a little something for me. You laugh. There have been people who have been caught doing it in the Salvation Army. That is a habitual sinning practice. And my contention this morning is if you are habitually in sin, that you are not currently in a state of salvation. And that is harsh and it is heavy. But what I believe is that when Jesus comes into our life and we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, that he helps us in these situations. Here we go. Because this is what Scripture says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so during this particular passage of Scripture, Jesus is talking uh, about people who think that they're doing God's work because they show up to church every Sunday and they sit in the pew every Sunday and they know when they're going to raise their hands during the worship. They know when they're supposed to clap. If you're in the Salvation Army, you clap on the chorus. You don't clap on the verses. Um, and so they know exactly how much money to put in the offering tray. They know uh, what page number the particular song in the songbook is. They know how to pretend to do church. Have you ever have you ever met these people? Uh, don't throw anyone under the bus by name, but I think most of us have an experience with some of these people who I like to affectionately call pew warmers because that's all they're doing. They're warming the pew, and Jesus hasn't done anything. They're not doing anything with the, with the new life that Jesus has given them. And so, so what Jesus actually says here in a section of Scripture, he says, not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who sits in church is going to enter the kingdom of he- heaven. And, and the next verse actually says, people are going to come to Jesus and say, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I throw out demons in your name? Didn't I speak with power and authority? Didn't I write that Christian number one best-selling book that made it to the New, New York Times number one bestseller spot and you could see it in all the Christian bookstores? Didn't I, didn't I write that book? And Jesus will say, yeah, but you didn't do the will of my Father. Jesus very clearly outlined what he thought the will of his father was. It, was. it was actually to help the people who are in need to show love in all conditions. No matter what, Jesus said, someone comes up to you and slaps you across the face, you turn the other cheek. Jesus says, if you meet someone who's thirsty, you give them water. Meet someone who's hungry, you give them food. Meet someone who is naked, you give them clothing. Meet someone who has gone to jail, you go and visit them. And I often think, in our context, we think jail. We think, you know, that jail that's up on the, the whatever with the bars. I think people live in jails all over the place and are walking around free. People's hearts are in jails of addiction. They're in jails of alcoholism. They're in jails of depression and jails of bad family relationships that they can't seem to get out of. People walk around in jails all the time without even knowing it. And it's up to the Christian to come up to them and say, hey, I have a light because that jail is a dark and cold place and the light of Jesus Christ shines into that darkness and into that cold and illuminates it and brings it warmth. When you read that scripture that says those who go to jail, don't just think of a physical place. Think of an emotional place that people are in. Think of a mental place that people are in. 
And for the love of God, think of the spiritual place that people are in. Some people think they are saved and even doing God's work. Hebrews 3, verses uh, 12 to 14 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you uh, an evil, unbelieving heart leading to you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, for none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He says share Christ. Even if you guys know each other on a regular basis and see each other, share what Jesus is doing in your life with one another. Don't just take it for granted that that Bo knows what someone else is going through or or someone else knows what he's going through. Talk about your experiences with each other. Talk about your faith with each other. Share Christ one to another because it says if you don't, you can develop an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. If you don't, if you don't hold fast, we need, we need to hold fast fast. Matthew 24, 13 says this, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That holding fast is part of a larger scheme of God's plan for salvation. He did not, God did not create us to live an isolationist life. God created himself not God created himself, God himself created in a community of creativity that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all present at the moment of creation and that community created together. Scripture in multiple places says that God the Father created, it says that God the Son created, and it says that God the Holy Spirit created. Together, the three in perfect unity created and he created us to live in that community as well. Why do you think God let Adam name the animals. It was an expression of the creativity and community that is instilled in us by God. Do you ever wish you were there on the day that they named the animals? It freaks me out because some of the names, you're an Adbark. Can you imagine God's reaction? Okay. What's that one eat? It eats ants. You're an anteater. It's a little on the nose. But then God said that it's not good for man to be alone. A lot of times we only preach that particular uh, scripture reference when it comes to do with relationships. You, you might hear that at, preached at weddings. You might hear that um, preached uh, as someone's going through the creation narrative. But I want you to take that in the fullest extent. Not only does it mean that man was made to live uh, with a spouse and that it's not good for man to be alone, I really think it's addressing the idea of Christian community. I don't think it's good for a Christian to be isolated. Uh, I reference it over and over and over again, but Scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so one another we sharpen each other through the word of God. If you're a Christian trying to do Christianity alone, I think you're going to fail because it's so much more difficult to do it because we were created we were created to endure in community. The one who endures to the end will be saved. That endurance not it's not a, it's not a fun word endurance. It means to hold on. 
Have you ever, uh, when we were kids, we, we played this game called uh, a tug of war. You get a rope, you get a mud pit in the middle, and you get pe- equal teams on either side. And what you have to do is, is pull the rope. And the idea is to pull the opposing team into the mud pit. Did you ever play this game? Okay, good. Endurance is being the last person on the rope, being the anchor. And knowing that you shouldn't be the anchor because you were five foot nothing, you're like 50 pounds soaking wet, and really you should not be the anchor on this. And slowly every single person in front of you is falling into the mud pit. And you have a choice at that moment. You have a choice that you can either let go of the rope and save yourself of the, the mud, or you can endure and follow through because you're in this together and you get dragged into the mud. I have to admit, on one occasion I let go of the rope. But on most occasions, I got dragged into the mud. A lot of times in Christianity, it feels like we're pulling on the rope against a society that is vastly outweighing us, not realizing that God calls us to endurance and that you're not actually the anchor on the rope, that rather God is the anchor on the rope. And if you endure, you you keep holding on to that rope, he's not going to let you. He's not going to let you go. Endurance. The scripture that Bart read for us earlier says this. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. That in which you stand is a present tense thing that you do. It's an action that you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless I preached in vain. Do not let your salvation be in vain. At the beginning of this message, I said that God is immutable. He doesn't change, which means if you have been saved and you find yourself in a state of non-salvation, it means that you have walked away from him, not God has walked away from you. A lot of times when we see hurt and suffering in this world, uh, one of our tendencies is to blame God and to say, hey, God, where were you when this happened? There was a, um, a pastor who told a story of a, a man who came to him and his, his son had been hit by a, a car and, and killed. And this man came to the pastor and he, and he was ranting and railing and the pastor knew that it was in grief and that he needed to to vent and to get out his emotions. But at the very end, that father said to him, where was God when my son was struck by a car and killed? And the pastor looked at him and said, he was in the same place when he gave his only son to die for you, watching his heart breaking for the sin of the world. A lot of times we ignore the heart the Father heart of God. When stuff happens, it happens all the time. Tragedy, sickness, diseases, famine, poverty, abject poverty. We can say and fall into the temptation of saying, where was God when? God was there. But God loves us so much that he gave us free will. And that free will means that Sometimes we have to deal with the consequences of our mistakes, and sometimes we have to deal with the consequences of other people's mistakes. When a person goes to jail, it doesn't just destroy their lives, it can also destroy the lives of the family around that individual. 
sometimes we have to deal with the consequences of other people's mistakes in our lives. And I fully believe that in the bad times as well as the good times, God is with us and he's there. That he is the person that we lean on, the source of our strength and our courage and our power. And the worst thing that we can do is in those bad times is to walk away from God because then we're isolating ourselves from the source of comfort, from the source of strength and courage. We believe that a continuance in a state of salvation depends upon continued obedient faith in Christ. When you look in Scripture, what you can see very clearly is that God had to send prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to get people's attention. And if you read the loop of Scripture in the Old Testament, you'll see that people came to this knowledge of God. They loved Him. They worshipped Him. They prayed to Him. It was Everything was going good. And then you know what happened a generation later? And they started sinning again. And then God would send a prophet. And then they would usually do something pretty horrendous to that prophet. I mean, if you've ever heard the story of Jeremiah, at one point he was beaten and thrown down an outside toilet. That's what a cistern was. And he's sitting at the bottom of this toilet, and he he yells out to God, and he says, God, why have you seduced me? He uses the Hebrew word patar, which is a fun word. Patar, it means to seduce. Uh, Some translations will say, why have you tricked me? Why have you whatever? Uh, The proper translation is seduce God. Why did you seduce me? Because in Jeremiah chapter 1, God came to to Jeremiah and said, I'm going to give you the the power to raise up nations and to tear them down. You're going to be the one to raise up kings and tear them down. I'm going to give you this voice, which is going to be uh, an incredibly powerful voice, and it's going to bring people to repentance. And Jeremiah remembers that as he's sitting at the bottom of this well, this cistern, this toilet. And he says, God, why did you seduce me with words of, of power, trying to, to tell me that I could do all this stuff. And, and what Jeremiah says next is actually kind of telling. He says, even in this state, you have given me a fire in my bones to preach your word that if I don't do it, I feel like I'm just going to catch fire. Have you, have you ever had a fever? Like one of, the, I'm not talking like that little fever. I'm like, you're, you've busted through the hundred mark and you're well on the way to like, you're about to die fevers. Have you ever had one of those? And you feel like you get those, those chills, but then the, the, the swing goes by and you feel like you're on fire and you have to rip all the blankets off and you have to like douse yourself in ice and you feel that fire sort of within you. What Jeremiah says is for the Christian, for the person who believes in Jesus, you and I should have that fervor to preach the gospel no matter if we're sitting in the bottom of a toilet. The fire that God gave us at our salvation The unconditional gift of God is offered to all. It is initiated and maintained by God's grace. It means we are once again accepted by God and given a new way of life. That is salvation. It's an unconditional gift, which means you did nothing to earn it or merit it. It is offered to all people. There is no one who cannot receive the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. It is initiated and maintained by God's grace. It means that we are once again accepted by God into his family and kingdom, and more importantly, we are then given a new way of life. So that question then comes, then is the work of God through salvation ever lost? Here's what I want to put to you. 
Salvation is never lost, but we can make a conscious decision to walk away from it. God never rescinds his offer of salvation for us, but we can walk away from salvation. We can walk away from the hand of God in which we should dwell. We do this through free will. God gives us the free will to choose, and unfortunately, sometimes we choose wrong. John Wesley, who's the founder of of Wesleyan theology, uh, expressed it in this way in 1738. He said this, As I read the change which God works in the heart of the believer through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Salvation can come to anyone at any time, but you and I can choose to walk away from God in that salvation. Luckily, God gives us a remedy for this. In the book of Chronicles, second book of Chronicles, Chapter 7, verse 14, God says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and will forgive them their sin and heal their land. If my people, do you call yourself a Christian? Then you're being called by the name of God as a Christian. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. It takes a posture of humility to admit that you're wrong and someone else is right. Sometimes we will continue to argue even if we know we're wrong because we don't want to humble ourselves, put our hand up in the air and say, you know what, I made a mistake. But if God's people who are called by his name humble themselves and pray, which means talking to God in an open and honest way, You do not have to pray in King James in order to get God's attention. What you have to do is quiet your heart and your mind and say, God, I messed up. I've done wrong. Pray. Seek my face. How do you seek the face of God? You read your scriptures. You read your Bible. You find out what God's will for your life is through the revelation of scripture. Seek his face. And then you realize what you're doing is wrong and you can turn from your wicked ways. You could interpret that simply sinful ways. Then God will hear from heaven, forgive of sins, and heal our lands. And I believe that God's word is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and the promises are for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I believe in all my heart that God can heal the land in which we live if we humble ourselves, turn from our wicked ways, seek his face, pray. We can continue in a state of salvation. We believe that a continuance in a state of salvation depends upon continued obedient faith in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today that you've given us the freedom to come into this place and worship you without threat. I, Lord, I ask that for each one of us, 
that we can examine our own hearts to find whether or not we are in a state of salvation or in a state of sin. Lord, we understand that it's a binary state. You're either sin or you're saved, and that there's no in-between. There's no other way. Lord, touch our hearts to find out that the Holy Spirit convict us if we're in a state of sin, if there is sinfulness in our lives that we are habitually committing. Convict us. Help us to turn back to you, to humble ourselves, to seek your face, to pray so that you, Lord, can hear us from heaven and heal our land. We pray this in the Son's precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.